how many of you know 2022 has flown by? I was trying to even think where I was last New Year's yesterday, and I was like, oh, I, I couldn't remember. But it's gone by so, so quick. But it's been a good year, amen? Amen. Um, does anybody here, do you guys do New Year's resolutions? Anybody wave at me? No? Oh, I got one person in the back. You know, props to you. I have never been able to really make a resolution, and not that I couldn't stick to it, because I'm disciplined enough to stick to it, I've just never gotten myself to the point of saying this is what I'm doing. I make things, like I make decisions and I do do things, but um, New Year's resolution, I've just never like, you know, pinpointed something down. But that's okay, that's okay. So I'm glad for you in the back that that is your jam right there. So we're gonna go through, before I get into things, top. Uh, 10 New Year's resolutions for this past year, 2022. All right? So you, you guys identify with any of these. Number one, exercise more. That's a good thing. Number two, lose weight. Get organized. Number three. Four, learn a new skill or hobby. That's a good one. Five, live life to the fullest. I feel like that encompasses so many things, but they tried to just narrow it down to... Just live life to the fullest. Number six, save more money and spend less money. Those are good things. Seven, quit smoking. That's a great thing. Eight, spend more time with family and friends. Nine, travel more. That's probably my favorite. I love travel. So if I guess if I had to make a resolution, maybe that could be one way. And number 10, read more. Those are all good things, right? Top, top, top 10 things from last year. They're all good things, good goals. They're noble things. And they're meant to lead people into a more productive life, into their fullest life. I have some statistics for you. Of those who make a New Year's resolution, after one week, 75% are still successful. After one week, that's great for them. Right? After two weeks, the number drops a few percent to 71%. That's still not bad. Okay? After a month, the number drops again to 64 getting a little steeper. Um, six months, 46% of people who make a resolution are still successful in keeping it. So almost half, and that's actually not too bad. I feel like, you know, props to the 46% that are still going strong after six months. I don't know what happens after that. Maybe it continues to drop, but we're not gonna talk about that. But how is it that people come to a resolution, come to a commitment that they choose to uh, put something as a goal in their life, right? I think it has to do with what people value. It's what people would like to value, right? Sometimes we have to put it on our radar because it's something good for us and we know that, but we've not yet made the plunge into it, right? <clears throat> put things off, finally we decide, I guess this is my year. I have to do something about fill in the blank. I don't have a choice anymore, right? We want to enhance our quality of life, be healthier, and prepare for the future, which is a lot of what those resolutions stated, and they're all great things. I don't think I've ever heard anybody going to New Year's saying, I'd really like to accrue more debt this year. That's my main objective. My main objective is to eat worse than I did the year before. No, it's the opposite, right? They, they normally lead us into a more productive, a healthier, fulfilling life. And I think that the things we value and our life become our compass. This is, this is how we get to resolutions. This is how we make a commitment to something greater in our life is that the, the things that we value point us in that direction. They guide us, our convictions, the convictions that we feel in our heart, the convictions we feel in our life, they push us towards certain things and we build our life around the things. 
that we are convicted on, the ways that we decide to live. And something inside of us is like captivated and we come to a place of resolve inside of ourselves that says we have to go after this. This year, today, right now, next week, I have to go after this thing. I have to change this piece in my life, right? And today is January 1st, but I have to say, why do we give today, January 1st on the calendar, so much credit? It's like all of a sudden the calendar turns, the, the year turns, and then it's like, ah, oh, now, now I can do things, right? It's really every day that counts. It's every day that counts. It's not just today. Today's a great day. Today is a clean slate. It's something new. It's something fresh. You have an opportunity. But tomorrow matters just as much as today, right? And so this morning, the idea that I felt like God laid in my heart, and I really, I'm going to be honest, I struggled to put this together at first because I was like, Lord, I don't know what to say. I, I almost felt blank, kind of like I was like, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to, supposed to talk about, a blank slate in 2023. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to, maybe that's what you're saying to me, Jesus, but it wasn't. And once I got to sit down and I got to spend some time, I feel like I captured what he wanted me to share with you today. And so I want to present one major idea, one major resolution, if you will, to those of us that are here this morning and those of us that are watching. And what if it was that we came to a place in our heads, in our hearts, a place of really clear sound thinking, that this year in 2023, our simple resolution would be to be more like Jesus. What if that's what we did? What if that's all we did? And John 3.30 is a small but a really profound verse. And it says this, he must increase in prominence, but I must decrease. It's only seven words long. Nine if you read it in the Amplified, which I do all the time. I'm going to read it again. He must increase, but I must decrease. What if that's our simple resolution for 2023? How would it change your life and my life for the better? What would it look like? What would it do to us? What would it do to the people around us, the people that we have relationship with? What ground could we take for the kingdom of God if we simply lived like Jesus lived? What would it do? What lives could be changed around you and around me? What would happen if we really loved like him? What would happen if we really forgave like Jesus did? And sometimes I think we think we're doing an okay job. And sometimes we do. But sometimes, guys, we miss it. Because we're human and we will forever... Um, live in our humanity trying to do a perfect work of the kingdom. So we do our best. But this morning, that's what I want to look at. I want to see what the Bible has to say about these couple ideas of love and forgiveness in particular. Because I think that we also can't go into a new year without knowing how to love correctly. And we certainly can't go into a new year with unforgiveness and not understanding, having a true understanding of what that is. And so the way we're going to present this this morning is that our Western culture, when we read the scripture, this is just a little, little detail here, we read it with the, um, the, through the lens, we look at it saying, what is it God is showing us about us? And yes, he shows us things about ourselves through the Bible, through the scripture, through his word. And that's good. We need to dig up those things. We need to know what he says about us. We need to know who we are. We need to know um, the takeaways of the scripture as he has intended them to be. But in Jewish culture, they read the scripture in the way, through the lens of what does this teach us uh, or show us about who God is? And that's a different twist. 
on this, right? So today we're going to do our best to look through that lens. We're going to do our best to learn about the character of God through the scriptures, about these two topics of love and forgiveness. So God's love, how does he love us? And how, does he, how did he show us his love for us? 1 John 4, 9, and 10, if you're turning there, if not, it should be on, on the screen. So it says this, verse 9, By this the love of God was displayed in us, in that God has sent his one and only begotten Son, the one who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, into the world that he might live through him. Verse 10, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his Son to be the propitiation that is the atoning sacrifice and the satisfying offering for our sins, fulfilling God's requirements for justice against sin and placating his wrath. So what do we see in 1 John about the character of God and the topic of love in the terms of the way that he loves us? The first thing he shows us, that his love was displayed. His love wasn't a feeling. It was not a strong emotion. It was an action. You hear that sometimes? Love is an action word. Heidi Baker says love looks like something. That means we do something with it. We don't just simply say it. I can say to my, my husband, I love you, but if I don't show him every day that I love him, what good are my words? There has to be an action. There has to be something put behind it to make it believable. So love was put on display to the world through God, in the act, through the action of sacrifice and action. Loving people like Jesus, from what we're seeing here in 1 John, it'll look like action and sacrifice. It's going to cost us something. There's going to be some action that has to come behind the words and the verbiage that we use in our daily life. And this isn't just any sacrifice. We can say, well, I'll, I'll give a little bit here, I'll give a little bit there. Jesus was a unique sacrifice, First John says. It was something very specific. And in our everyday lives, we're going to come across circumstances and relationships and people that all look very different. So our action in that moment and our sacrifice in that moment is going to look different and unique in each and every one. I can't love all my friends the same. They're all different personalities. They're all different people. They all need me in different capacities. So therefore, when we love Jesus and we're trying to love like him to a world that doesn't know him, it's going to look different. And loving like that, will, it will require us to be uncomfortable. I'm just going to tell you some like, straight facts. That we're going to be uncomfortable when we do it correctly. But when we do it uncomfortable, when we do it and we don't, completely understand when we don't completely agree sometimes it will change your heart it will mark you it'll change something inside of you and you will be more like him and if we think back to you know the fact that father god sent his son jesus to earth i'm a, i'm a mom i cannot imagine the emotions the feelings um and he was god so he's obviously very different than me but as he prepared to send his son, something so perfect, something so unique, so special, into a world that he knew before he was sent would reject him. He knew that they would not accept him for what he was. He knew that this was not going to go well. Yet he had to prepare his heart and he had to make a choice to send that perfect gift down because he loved. He loved. That was the only reason he gave. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave above and beyond what we could ever give. So loving people the way that Jesus does, it'll hurt sometimes. I can't imagine, again, the anguish that God the Father could have felt. I don't know that he did, but he could have. 
I just look at it from a human perspective in that. But it'll hurt us sometimes. Loving people well, loving people like Jesus will hurt us. We put ourselves in a position to be hurt when we love like the Father. It will mean pushing closer into a circumstance that all you want to do is run. Wave at me. Anybody? Just me? <laughs> sometimes you just want to run. I've had moments in my life where I have told my husband or told close friends, you know what? This moment, this circumstance, this thing, it sucks, and this is really hard. And all I want to do is pack up my kids and pack up my husband and drive somewhere and be anywhere but here. And just dip out. I'm done. I'm done. I just want to go. Because it's painful. Because it's hard. But it will cost us pushing closer when all you want to do is run away. Sometimes you'll be lied to. You'll be left out. You'll be rejected. And you'll be the last to know the story. But if you love like Jesus, you'll be the first one to push into that circumstance once you know. Katie May, uh, Davis Majors, she's the founder of Amazema Ministries, which is in Uganda. If you don't know who she is, look her up. She's got some cool, cool stories. The way that she came to work there is pretty amazing. But she says this, I believe there is only one true courageous thing we can do with our lives, to love unconditionally, absolutely with all of ourselves, so much that it hurts, and then more. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound reasonable. <laughs> Definitely not an awesome feeling. But it is the way that we are loved. How many of you have been hurt by someone? Anyone? You know, somebody made you mad, somebody cut you off, somebody whatever, right? How about somebody that you love deeply? A family member, a close friend. How many, right? There's a difference. There's a difference between the person that makes me upset that I hardly know and the person that I have, have relationship with whether it's my kids, whoever, right? But God loves us so deeply. With no restrictions, no conditions, he just loves, and that's the way we are called to love. It's in his nature, and it is who he is. So how many of you remember, I'm dating myself a little bit, but, um, and actually, I know some kids that wear them now, but the WWJD bracelets, I think my kids might have them, actually. Anybody? Just me? Oh, in the back, thank you. Um, what would Jesus do? Wore it for years. Some people had, you know, several because they needed to be reminded a lot <laughs> of what Jesus would do. No, but, <laughs> but it was a good reminder, right? And then in more recent years, there's a new one, and it's HWLF. That's the newer one. He would love first. And I think that there is so much truth to that. What would he do? He would just love. What would he do when that person walked in to your home broken, and beside themselves and not knowing what to do, he would love them. He would seek to love them first and, and then seek to understand where they were at. He already know because he's Jesus, but he would seek to love first, to show love first, to show kindness first, to show mercy first, because he is love. If we go back up in First uh, John chapter 4 again, but back to verses 7 and 8. This is what it says. Beloved, let us unselfishly love and seek the best for one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves others is born of God and knows God through personal experiences. The one who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not and never did know him. For God is love. He is the originator of love, and it is an enduring attribute of his nature. So we know him, and we know how to love people correctly and appropriately, because of our personal experience with him. 
if I think of my life before Jesus, I needed a lot of love. I needed a lot of grace. I needed a lot of mercy because I didn't always do things well. But I, I'm learning how to love people correctly because I have a per, I've had personal encounters with the Father. And so we have to encounter him. We have to actually know him. If I've never had a true encounter with the king and the creator of love, then I can't effectively love those around me. I can't effectively love my family. I can't effectively love my coworkers who might drive me crazy or the person at the grocery store. It's so simple. I love my coworkers, by the way. Our understanding can only take us so far, but we must know the one who is love. And if you don't know him this morning, you need to know him. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another, just as I have loved you. His way of loving in my life must increase. It has to. And my excuses for why I should or shouldn't love someone must decrease. This year, it has to. I have to love better and I have to love more. And you and I are not asked to love. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's actually a commandment. It's actually something he requires of us. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. We've been given a lot as, the, as people that know him. And it's not even just to love, and not commanded to love, but it says to love unselfishly. Unselfish behavior. Seek after the best for those around us. My heart should always be to make you better. I should leave every conversation and every interaction, I should leave you better for it. If I love like the Father loves. This is the way that we're loved. This is the way scripture shows us God the Father loves us and how Jesus loves us. Romans 12, 9, love is to be sincere and active. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. Loving deep will cost you. It will cost me. But as believers, we don't have a choice. We have no options. Um, we have to allow our roots, wherever we find ourselves, to go deep, to take um, just that true root with people around us, wherever it is, whether it's at work, it's here, it's wherever, right? When we do this, we know there's a risk. How many of you know people are a risk factor? They will always be a risk factor involved. The risk of losing people, some people you're close with, the risk of hurting, and the great, one of the greatest risks I think that we culturally think of is being vulnerable. What if they actually see me? What if they actually know who I am? What if I actually see them? Gosh, what will people think? What will people think? But to do it correctly, those details must be a part of it. Jesus thought that you and I were worth the risk. He was vulnerable with us. He lost people in the process. He hurt. He hurt, but you and I were worth the risk, so he did it anyway. Diedrich Bonifer says this, and this is the wonder of all wonders, that God loves the lowly. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. That is who God loves. And I think that in that quote, we all fit there somewhere. We all fit there somewhere. 
So if we learn how to love like him, and that we'll spend a lifetime. I'm giving you a few minutes and a snapshot. We will spend a lifetime loving like him, learning to be more like him in that capacity. But if we learn how to love like him, then we also have to learn how to forgive people like him. And forgiveness is difficult. Is forgiveness easy for any of you here? Because if it is, I would like your secret. Is it easy? Normally it's not. Sometimes we don't really believe that people deserve to be forgiven. And we really would rather see them get what they deserve than forgive them and allow them to move forward. But forgiveness, however, is another character in the heart of God. It is who he is. It was the center of, um, of everything that Jesus did when he walked the earth. Every miracle he performed, every interaction that he had with a person, it was all for the greater cause that they would know that there was forgiveness and the reconciliation available through him. That was why he interacted with people when he came to the earth. So they would know that they could be forgiven. So they could know that there would be eternal life extended if they would accept it. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving wickedness and transgressions. That's how Jesus, or how God forgives. He's slow to anger. He's abundant in loving kindness. He forg he's forgiving in wickedness and transgressions. Transgressions. I don't know about you. Sometimes I could really stand, though, to be slower to anger. My family, well, my kids, only my husband's here. He's like, amen, amen. <laughs> I could stand to be a little more, you know, loving and kind and let that flow out of my life a little more. Um, I'm the first to admit that. People in the room that are close to me are like, mm-hmm, yes, you could. Uh, oh, I switched my slide. Go back. Um, I could stand to forgive the crappy things done to me quicker. Sometimes things happen, and in our humanness, we want to hang on. But I could stand to do those things better. Numbers doesn't say he forgives some of the transgressions, sometimes some offenses. It just says he forgives. He forgives. He doesn't hold on to anything. He doesn't um, forgive with condition. He just forgives and moves on. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west. I don't know what direction I'm in. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. <laughs> Even Jesus on the cross, as he's been beaten and spit on and laughed at and rejected by humanity, he cries out and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Even in his most broken moment, that's what he said. And there are times when people, I'm going to say this, Sometimes when we are hurt, when we are put in a position where we need to forgive, somebody has just wronged us, we as humans have a tendency, I can't imagine, I don't understand why they don't see what they're doing to me or what they are doing in this situation. But I want to let you know, people aren't thinking of you. They're just normally not. They're normally not. Oftentimes they're broken and they're just doing their best to get by as well. So sometimes there is a selfish motive behind the behavior that drives them. And, and they're not thinking of a bigger picture. Guys, forgive them. Forgive them. It's what Jesus would do. And sometimes things are intentionally done to us. There are really um, unfortunate things that happen in our life. Some things are really traumatic. Some things are really ugly. And they're purposefully done that cause hurt. They, they scar us. And, um, and they wound us. And it, and it takes 
a healing process to go through that and to work through that type of stuff is forgiveness. And that's really difficult. So what I do want to affirm, if, that, if that's you and you're like, man, you don't even know the things, the wrongs done, the things done intentionally. I want to tell you this morning that the process of forgiveness is, and healing is worth it because you're worth it. Your heart is worth it. Lisa Bevere said a hard heart won't protect you. And the stuff that you've gone through and the way that people have hurt you, hardening your heart, becoming more bitter, becoming more angry, those things don't protect you. It will not protect you. All it will do is keep true love and true forgiveness out. All it will do is hinder you. All it will do is, is tie the Father's hands in your life. Do what you need to do to walk out that process. And if you don't know how to do it, find somebody to walk with you. Because if we're loving like Jesus, somebody will come alongside of you and walk with you well. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him by whom you were sealed and marked, branded as God's own. For the day of redemption, the final deliverance from the consequences of sin, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, which is perpetual animosity and resentment, strife and fault finding and slander, be put away from you along with every kind of malice, all spitefulness and verbal abuse. Be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Unforgiveness grieves the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we're warned not to do it in Ephesians. We're warned to stay away from it. Put away these things, anger and bitterness, fault-finding. Take responsibility for you. Don't point the finger. Take your responsibility where you can. Resentment, etc. Forgive the way Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is a supernatural thing. I will say that because we, can, we have um, things that we say in culture like, oh, Time will heal that. Time heals this. That's a lie. That's a lie. The only thing, the only person that can heal is Jesus. Time doesn't heal. Jesus heals. You're going through something in your life. The more time you have, month, two months, six months, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, time is not going to heal your heart. Jesus is going to heal your heart. The one who is love, the one who is forgiveness, he will heal that place in your heart that you can't. You just don't know what to do with. Maybe it leads you into um, other vices and other things in your life because you just need to get by. Allow Jesus to come in. Give him an opportunity. Even challenge him. Even challenge him in that. This year, his way of forgiving in my life must increase as I allow the rights I think I have to decrease. I don't have any rights in this world. I don't. I'm going to tell you a story this morning. And um, it's pretty powerful. There's a, a young man that two years ago, he was the age of 11, uh, so he would have been in the, excuse me, the fifth grade. And his mom, he went to work one night. She worked at like a, a bar and grill restaurant type thing. He went to work one night. Mom had, um, was working late. It was a night shift. She, she had a couple of drinks. She said, you know what, I'm not going to drive home. This isn't, I, I want to be wise. I want to get home to my family. So she went with the coworker, and the um, coworker said, sure, I'll bring you home. No big deal. They left her vehicle one, in one place, and they hopped on the freeway. And on the way home, there was a tragic accident, and she was killed. She didn't know that the, the gentleman she hopped in the, the truck with 
had also had a few drinks. And she died. And she had two boys. Her youngest was 11 at the time. And that young man was angry. That young man was just already struggled in life. And then he took away his mom. And the lack of understanding and the lack of um, fairness. You know, sometimes life's just not fair. And the struggle that it would lead him to. And it was just um, not too long ago that the trial came up. And he was set to testify at this trial, now 13. And he wrote a letter. And he was going to share this letter with the judge and with the jury and tell them why this man deserved to be in jail for as long as they would put him away for. As long as they would lock him up for because he took his mother. He ruined his life. And before that trial could happen, this young man has two sets of grandparents in his life. One set said, no, we want the maximum sentence. He, this man ruined our life, ruined my grandchildren's life, ruined his, um, her husband's life. The other set believes in Jesus, believes in forgiveness, believes in mercy. And they sat with him and they explained this to him. They explained to him, we love Jesus. Jesus forgave us, so we need to forgive this man. We need to extend the mercy where it's not deserved. And the day of the trial came, and that young man walked in and he testified, but he didn't read his letter. He said, please give this man another chance. He has a family too. He doesn't deserve to be locked up for as long as he could be. We need to give him mercy. I'm forgiving him. Man, guys, we come into life and circumstances and unfair things that we feel like we should be able to hang on to. But if I've ever taken a lesson from a 13-year-old boy, let that be the one. Powerful, powerful. It would have made more sense for him to read the letter in a, in a you know, culturally, right? In the way we think, in the way we think justice needs to be served. But if he can walk that out, if Jesus could forgive us the way he forgave us and does on a daily, how dare we hang on to the things that we think we should hang on to? How dare we not let those things go? And as we come to a, a conclusion this morning, I want to read one last passage to you. How do we live like him? How do we live like Jesus to the best of our ability? I think Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 is a pretty good example, a pretty good place to start. And it says this, Have the same attitude in yourselves which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility, who although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. Verse 7, but he emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He, came, he became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. 
after he was found in terms of his outward appearance as a man for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself still further, becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was our example of selfless humility. He was God, and yet he gave us everything. He didn't give up his heavenly authority, yet he was a servant to mankind. He was human. He came as a human, but he was perfect in his humanness. And he was sinless, and he paid a debt that we will never be able to pay back. He was the most selfless. So that's my, my challenge, if you will, this morning, is that we become more like him. You know, in 2023, can we make our one resolution to be more like Jesus, to love more like him, to forgive more like him, and to do our best to live like he would live if he was walking this earth with us? Can we make a commitment, the smaller crowd that's here this morning, that in 2023, he must increase and we must decrease in our church and our personal lives, and our family lives, and our relationships. I only want what he has. I only want to be who I'm supposed to be in him. So everything else needs to fall away. Mm -hmm.